Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today, my guest is Sarah Dean. Sarah is a mindset, a business and a leadership coach. She is the creator and the host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast, which is amazing. And it has over 3 million downloads. Her biggest passion is helping women own their space. And after enduring her own identity crisis, following the birth of her son, Sarah took her background in psychology, health, and wellness, and rebuilt her identity one step at a time. Sarah motivates and inspires women to stop shrinking and start shining, and she is on a mission to inspire women, and moms in particular, to live bigger, bolder, braver lives every damn day. She is the mom of a seven-year-old son and is one of my favorite people because Sarah and I actually met about a year and a half ago at an entrepreneur conference down in San Diego. And she sat down next to me at lunch and I had already heard her podcast. So I felt I was meeting a celebrity. I was totally fangirling. 
And she has been amazing. We both live in Seattle and she actually had me on the Shameless Mom podcast to talk about drinking and over drinking and women in the workplace. So Sarah and I are talking about how to overcome perfectionism and get out of your own way. And I know you're going to get so much out of this podcast episode. So Sarah, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so, so excited. Wasn't it nice when we got to travel to San Diego and like that was a thing? It was my first, <laughs> it was my first entrepreneur conference. I've been to a couple of recovery conferences, which were amazing, but God, the sun and the speakers and the energy and like sitting around the pool, meeting with other people who were there, like kick-ass women doing kick-ass things. Like I love this. I love it. That was like a lifetime ago and I can't wait to get back to doing those. I know. I know. I'm so glad I went before COVID and I cannot wait to go to the next one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I'm really excited for this episode because I feel like I have so much to learn and you have so much to teach. And I know the women, you know, lots of women who listen to this podcast are working moms. They're often overachievers or people pleasers or don't take enough time for themselves. And I think perfectionism and getting in your own way is something that is so common. Yes, yes. And I always like to lead with the fact that I am a type A perfectionistic control freak kind of personality type myself. So I very much relate to the things that I speak about. (laughs) Yeah, like we always teach what we need to learn. Yes, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, well, so tell us all about it. Yeah, so I, to your point around what we teach, what we need to learn ourselves, I became an athlete later in life in adulthood. And then I decided that that was like the thing I wanted to tell everyone about. And so I opened, I became a trainer and I opened my own gym. And after having my son, I had this, like, as you mentioned in my bio, this identity crisis where I was like, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to move forward in life because I'm not the person I was before I had him. But like, what does that mean? Who am I instead? And how do I figure that out? And so I had to do a lot of work on myself and it took a long time. And What I learned during that time um, was how under-discussed a lot of the stuff around motherhood was, and also that so much of the stuff I was working through was unique to motherhood, but it was also unique to women in terms of the ways that we show up in the world based on how we're conditioned and especially socially conditioned in so many ways. And so I got really interested in in what I needed to do to kind of figure out who I was after becoming a mom and then sharing that with other people. And so when I started the podcast, it really was like, well, what do I want to learn about? I'll learn about that and share it with other people. And so I'm always just, you know, I mean, like many uh, coaches, I'm like one or two steps ahead of my clients. I have not figured it all out, but, but I've definitely figured some things out. I've been working with women um, in this kind of health, wellness, and life coaching, business coaching setting in various contexts and ways for 18 years now, which is like forever. Um, So I feel like I know a few things, but I'm still figuring out a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, that what you were saying about learning and learning about different topics that you want to know about. I mean, that is my favorite thing about having a podcast. And I know you have it too, because it's, it's a little bit like free therapy, free coaching. Like if you're interested in a topic, you find a guest like this topic and just be like, I need to learn about this. This is getting in my way. Tell me everything you know. 
Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, I and I, I totally agree. And I think that it's funny, <laughs> there's even conversations that I have. So I'm in therapy, not for the first time, but I'm newly in therapy right now and have been for a few months. And literally after like every session, I'm like, I should just go record a podcast episode. But is that weird that if I want to record a podcast <laughs> episode about my therapy session, <laughs> but I've learned something new. Let me tell everyone. So, yeah, yeah. You should invite your therapist on. <laughs> I've thought about it. I'm not sure that she's like super savvy to podcasts. I adore her, but I kind of like that she's I specifically Out of want separate. Her- yeah. Well, and I specifically was like, I want someone who's like a little bit like maternal, if not grandmotherly yeah. <laughs> versus like a peer. <laughs> yeah. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It's been good. It's been good. So t- do you want me to talk a little bit about perfectionism and how that shows up for us? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Cause this is, I think, so I mentioned that, um, I mentioned social conditioning and, it's interesting. I know you have a lot of people in your audience who are high achiever kind of people. I'm a high achiever kind of person myself. And when we are in those spaces of being high achievers, um, we have done a lot of things to fit into certain roles in order to get the things that we want. And often at the expense of our most authentic selves, maybe. Um, And so we've really tried to do things the way other people expect us to do them in order to get the things that we want or the things that other people want for us. And that often starts at a really, really young age. So at this really young age, we're often starting to, and this is so relevant to women more so than men, we start to chip away at who we are and who we want to become. And instead we trade that for these really slight messages that we get over and over and over, over time around who we should be. And so this can be anything from like, you know, maybe a parent shaming you for wanting to play with trucks instead of dolls. And it could be like, not even shaming. It could just be like suggesting that maybe you should play with one thing or the other. It could be um, one of my favorite examples, not because it's a fun one, but because I think it's so common is being a shy little girl and having a parent or relative force you to hug certain people and like, well, you have to hug uncle Ted or even hug grandma, like whatever you have to hug that person. Like, that's just what nice people do. And that's what like respectful kids do when like, you might have this gut instinct is like, I just don't want to hug strangers, but like you get these messages that you need to override those things. So what happens over time is that we learn to stop listening to ourselves and we learn to override our gut in order to do the things that we think we're supposed to do. And those supposed to's really add up over the course of decades. I just want to jump in because that is so true. And when you're talking about overriding what your gut is telling you, you know, or what your nervous system is kind of telling you, like getting flooded, I feel like that's a reason why a lot of the women in my audience and myself drank, right? Because you're just like, I should be doing this. I'm not comfortable. I need to shut my mind down. I'm overwhelmed. I don't, you know, I'm socially anxious. I'm in a job that is stressing me the fuck out and feel like I have to perform all the time, but I've got an imposter syndrome and therefore I'm going to drink at the end of the day to tolerate it. Right, right. And so like who we're trying to be versus who we want to be can be like at complete odds. And sometimes we don't even know who we want to be, but we're like, I don't want to be the person I am right now. I don't want to be the person that I'm pretending to be. 
I don't even know who it is I want to be. And I've definitely felt like that at times. And drinking does a really great job of like of calming that down at the end of the day and being yeah. like, you're going to be okay. It's fine <laughs> for the moment. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So I think over time we end up with these very perfectionistic tendencies that really shut down who we are. And what can also happen around that is that we start putting off things that we don't want to do and, or things that might, we think might seem hard, or especially if we have anxious tendencies, we put things off. And because we're like, I'm, I have analysis paralysis. I don't even know where to get started. I don't know what the first right step is. I don't even know if this is the right direction for me. So we end up in these cycles of procrastination. What does society tell us about procrastination? It tells us that we're lazy, that we're not being good managers of our time, that other people are doing it way better, that we're not very on top of things. And so then on top of all of this messaging about like who we should be. Now we also have messaging about like, I should be doing it better and faster and sooner and without so much decision fatigue. And it all just adds so much pain and mental anguish to us. So mental, and I mean, which can also be physical pain, but a lot of mental pain. And then back to your point around like, and then we're like, well, maybe I should just take a drink and like, let that. Oh my God. And when you said mental anguish, I haven't thought of that word, which is crazy, but like, yes, that's what it feels like. Like just mental anguish. Yeah. Yeah. So when we look at, and there's a really great book called Finish by John Acuff, J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F. And he's hilarious. He writes the best stories, but they have these amazing lessons. And his whole premise is that it's basically why perfectionists don't finish things. And it's like, and it's like you get to the start line and you're so ready to go. And then like day one is great. And day two, you're like, this is not that great. And day three, you're like, and I'm done. (laughs) And so like why we just basically never finish anything, but he talks so much about perfectionism and he talks about the connection to procrastination and the, the connection between the two is that procrastination is not you being lazy it's your perfectionism showing up. So you are like looking to do the thing exactly the right way at exactly the right time under the exactly right circumstances. And therefore you keep putting it off because those things just aren't happening. Or in my case, I have, I was actually, and I'm laughing because I'm been very excited about this, but I was just formally diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. I love that you're excited about that. I know that's why I'm laughing. Like, I mean, like me too, but (laughs) And most people are like, you're excited? What? But I am because I'm like, I feel so seen. (laughs) So for me, procrastination is really tied up in anxiety. And so I have a lot of anxiety, which I knew was connected to perfectionism that like I was, I would put things off because I wanted to make sure I had like the right time set aside to do it the right way under the right conditions. And I wanted to like double check and triple check that I was making the right choice at every turn, which was really crippling for an entrepreneur and really hold you back in so many ways. And so when reading that procrastination is actually connected to perfectionism, and in my case, also to anxiety, I was like, oh my gosh, I get it now. And this isn't about me being lazy. This is about a hypervigilance in me. It's about a hyperconscientiousness in me. So it's actually part of me being a high achiever. My uh, procrastination is connected to that. And it's not a laziness thing. And it's not that I'm like not doing things the right way or the way that everyone else is. It's actually tied up in all of this other stuff. And so some of it's social conditioning. Some of it for me is DNA stuff. (laughs) um, So there's all these different layers to it. So if we can let ourselves off the hook with overanalyzing procrastination and perfectionism for that matter, we can start to peel back the ways that we are getting in our own way and then look at like, how can we stop getting in our own way? So 
Yeah, that's, that that's is the beginning. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, everything you were saying was totally resonating with me. And I completely like call myself a gold star girl. Like I like mm. the pats on the head. I like the positive oh, 100%. Um, reinforcement. I like, you know, and that was kind of an issue where I wanted to please so desperately any boss I had that I would run myself ragged and not even check in with myself if this is what I wanted to do because I was so focused on getting the A. Like totally. I, I had expectations from someone else and I was like, well, I have to do that to get the five-star review regardless of the fact that like, it actually wasn't something I cared about or enjoyed. Right. Oh my gosh. I have to tell you a quick story about this that I actually just talked about in therapy yesterday. I had a boss when I was in college, my, my summer job in college was doing data entry at a a power company. So like the meter reader, the guys would go out in the field and do the meter reads. They'd bring back these little index cards and I would have to enter the information into the computer because this was like 25 years ago before everything would have been automated. And so they'd bring these cards back in and then I would do the data entry. And there's like, (laughs) there's no way to like really get a gold star for that job. It's like either you're entering correctly or you're not. And like, nobody really cares. (laughs) And so my boss never gave me any feedback. He was like this guy in his thirties, maybe 40, I'm 21 or something. And he never gives me any feedback. And I'm like telling my mom, I'm like, Ross never says anything about my work. She's like, honey, I think you should just go in and ask him. Like, you've always had female bosses who've given you so much positive reinforcement and you should just go let him know like you want. So I go into his office. I'm like, Hey Ross, I'm just curious. Like if you have any feedback for me or (laughs) like, you want to let me know anything about like how I'm doing in this position. And he stared at me like I was from another planet. He was like, I I don't understand the question. (laughs) And I was there. All I wanted was validation. Like I wanted that a plus gold star. You're doing great, Sarah. You're such a valued member of the team. And he was like, yeah, I guess it's fine. <laughs> like he could have, oh and I remember just being like so embarrassed and walking yeah. out. And then I was mad at my mom because I'm like, how dare you give me bad <laughs> advice? <laughs> yeah. That's like, so to your point, like that validation feels really, really good. And that is a form of perfectionism right there is like, yeah. I'm only going to do it if I can get that validation. And yeah, it's not intrinsic. It's extrinsic. Right. You, you right. are so conditioned to look for external validation of yourself that, you know, you're willing to jump through hoops to do it. Um, And if you fall short of the A plus, then you're like, I suck, you know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell us how we're getting in our own way. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to walk through seven, seven different ways you might be getting in your own way. And if you identify with all seven, it's completely fine. (laughs) So that's common and normal. It's not a big deal. And I also always like to tell people to like, listen to anything like this with a sense of objectivity, not a sense of like self-judgment and, you know, criticism. So the first thing, the first way you might be getting in your own way is that you might be holding yourself back or holding back in ways in terms of like speaking up, biting your tongue in different situations, just staying quiet. And we see this all the time in the workplace with women, especially, and especially if you are in a workplace where, you know, it's like eight men around the table and one woman. Um, so we see this, we see this across, um, gender. We also see it across race. We also see it across ability. Like you don't want to be someone who's in the margins and then also be the squeaky wheel. And I've been in that situation because I'm fairly outspoken and, it doesn't typically go well for us. Like if I'm the only woman there and I'm always a squeaky wheel, 
people aren't going to be really excited <laughs> continuing to invite me to the conversation. Right. So over time we learn to like hold back, bite our tongues, stay quiet. And when we do that over time, we start to feel frustrated and tired and inauthentic. And we feel, have the sense of like, I'm not realizing my own potential, but I don't know what to do about it. You might also be really jealous of other people who are doing what you want to do. You're like, eyeing people and in this comparison trap of, well, they're over there doing the thing, but like I'm over here and I don't know how to break out, or I don't know how to step into a place where I'm using my voice more effectively or more loudly. You also might have a lack of pride around your work or around the space that you take up in different areas of your life. And this can happen. I use the example of work, but this can happen in marriages. This can happen in relationships with your parents. This can happen in relationships with your children. I mean, this happens in a lot of different ways. So the truth about this, when we're doing this, is that you have to get to a place of recognizing that everything that you need is inside of you and other people are actually waiting for you to break out and share yourself with the world. And when you do that, a couple things can happen. So either people are going to be really excited and they're going to be like, holy cow, we've been waiting to hear this from you for years. And they're going to mirror to you the energy that you just shared And that will be validating, first of all, and it will also give you permission to show up that way again. And so all of that is really great. It becomes a cycle of like, now I can speak my mind or I know where it's safe to speak up or stand out or what have you. The other thing that can happen is that there might be people that are threatened when you do that. And so they might either dismiss you or they might treat you in a way that feels a little abrupt because they're maybe taken aback or they just don't know how to like handle a woman with an opinion or whatever the case may be. Um, or they don't know how to handle a new dynamic in your relationship. So like in a marriage, for example, if something like this were to happen, all of a sudden the partner is going to be like, hold on, like, wait a minute. I don't know how to react to you because now you're being like this new version of yourself and what is even happening. What's important about that is that no matter what the outcome, it's really important that you take that chance and it can be in a gentle way. It doesn't need to be like all of a sudden shouting from the rooftops, but in a gentle way, using your voice in different ways and not holding yourself back because even if hard, embarrassing, uncomfortable, weird things happen, you find out who other people are and Mm. how they're willing to show up for you. And so often what happens is people are like really positive and supportive. But if that's not the case, and I've had this totally not be the case. Um, and when I, for a short time worked corporate, I worked in the psychiatric hospital and the CEO, anytime I tried to shrink, the CEO was like very not into me having an opinion about anything. Yeah. And what became clear over time is anytime I would take the chance and take the risk to say something and he would try to shut me down or he would bring in HR to like, try to put me in my place. As much as that was awful, it was also really important for that to happen so that I could see this is not the right place for me. Yeah. I, I, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And this company's core values are not in alignment with my core values. So while that's hard and painful, better to find it out sooner than later, rather than sitting in this place where I can't be who I am meant to be and be the best service to others, meaning like patients in a psychiatric hospital, because the management at this company and even at the CEO level is actually not aligned with how I think humans are supposed to be treated. And yeah, that was important for me to find out. Well, and that's sort of, I love the question of not why is this happening to me, but how is this happening for me? Yes. Even when really tough stuff happens, like maybe that guy had to be enough of a dick for you to be pushed out. 
to say that, yes. okay, I don't, this is so obvious that yeah. I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. And I've had that happen in my life too. And totally, it's really unfortunate, but I feel like even when bad stuff happens, it's happening for a reason, whether it's right. uncomfortable or not, because the status quo is no longer acceptable. Right, right, right. And that's valuable to know. And we often tiptoe around that because we're like, oh, but then like, I'll have to make it better or fix it or figure out another solution or find another job or whatever. Well, but the alternative is like, you're going to stay in this really crappy position and feel like crap about yourself. And like, you got, you got to decide like, which heart is better, you know, yeah. <laughs> choose your heart or choose well, your when pain. you talk about social conditioning though, you know, I, as children, as women, I mean, I know I was certainly, um, encouraged or got positive reinforcement from being a people pleaser, from not causing conflict, from not requiring too much of other people, right? Yes. And so yes. that's something that's really hard to overcome because you're mm-hmm. you're so conditioned to take stuff and like go along and get along and make the best mm-hmm. of it and bend over backwards to excuse other people's behavior and make it emotionally okay that yeah. it's really difficult. Like it takes courage yeah. and it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, not to derail where we're going with our list here, but this example actually will come up. I just thought of it and I think it's relevant to a couple of different things I'm going to follow up with. So I'll, I'll share. I actually was just recently asked to be co-chair on the school commission at my son's school. And my son goes to a Catholic school and I am a very bad Catholic and very much at odds with many things that the Catholic church teaches and stands for, which, so people might wonder why I send him to a Catholic school and that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but when I got this invitation, would you want to be on the, be the co-chair for the school commission? I said, I was like, I appreciate the invitation and you do know that I have a podcast and like, I might want to talk about abortion on the podcast and I might even have Catholics come talk about abortion and you have to be okay with that. And also you have to know that I have a lot of opinions and I say them out loud and people don't always like them. And like, I literally went through like, here's all the ways (laughs) I'm going to take up space. If you offer, if I step into this role and are you all cool with that? And so the guy who asked me, the dad who asked me, he's like, I love this. And I said, great. I want you to go talk to the principal and the vice principal and make sure that they're also okay with it before we move further with this conversation. Cause like everybody needs to know that Sarah is going to come in and take up some space. If she's, well, by the way, the things that you said, if they said yes, that is clearly a Seattle Catholic school. <laughs> totally, Seattle totally. is like so progressive, which I love. Right. Right. But, right. Yeah, I'm not sure that would have been co- not kosher, oh, but <laughs> flown totally, anywhere else. Totally. Well, and he even said, he's like, we could like position ourselves as like the Catholic school in Seattle that's like most invested in social justice. And I was like, oh my God, you're speaking my love language. Yes. (laughs) So it was a really fun conversation, but a really great example of like me knowing at now at age 45, like I'm not going to tiptoe around anything. Like here's how I show up. If you're ready for me, great. And if you're not fine, (laughs) I will find somewhere else. My favorite quote, a a different one is, which I have to embrace. Like I'm a, a, I would, I always say I'm a recovering people pleaser um, is you're going to be too much for some people. Those aren't your people. Exactly. Exactly. And I've spent the first couple of years at my son's school thinking like these, I'm not the right person in this environment. Like I'm going to just sit back and be quiet because I don't want to ruffle feathers. And then a couple of little things happen where I was like, I'm ready to ruffle some feathers now. And then next year I'm like, I'm ready to go all in. Yeah. It's a great, I love the school. I love the school, but we're just in a time in in life and culture where like some feathers need to be ruffled. So 
Yeah. Um, okay. So number two, the second way people might be getting in their own way is being the person other people want you to be, or being the person that you think other people want you to be. And so this goes back to that cultural conditioning. And when we are in this place, we feel exhausted from performing. So burnout is high. (laughs) Um, and burnout is, it's like two layers. It's like, we're exhausted from doing the work, but we're also exhausted from like performing in a way that is not us. We also are probably going to feel resentful, probably full of regret, maybe annoyed, maybe even angry. And we're trying to temper that all the time. And that over time creates back to mental anguish, like that is mental anguish over time. And so we often see this or this shows up in ways where we're staying in a bubble or a shell that doesn't allow us to shine. And so this can happen when we're settling in a job or sometimes in a job where we have, we've outgrown it, but we don't know what's next. And so we just get stuck there. This can happen in a marriage where we've outgrown it and we don't know what next, what's next or in a friendship where we've outgrown it. I know that I went through a phase in young adulthood where like some of my friends from, earlier in my life, like around high school-ish, just were like not the right fit anymore and not in a bad way, but they just weren't the right fit. And I remember like continually trying to make things work and like try to find common ground and like, and every time it just felt like this mismatch. And over time I had to, from an objective standpoint, be like, I'm just exhausted from performing. Like this is not working for me. And it's also taking away from where I can be putting energy in other places as well. And so I was in this bubble that didn't allow me to shine. And I had to kind of just over time, let those uh, kind of like, let those relationships kind of drift to the wayside so that I could make space for ones that were better. Um, another way that this might, another way that you might be, um, showing up in this way or being the person that you think other people want you to be is that you're keeping things really predictable and comfortable at your own expense. So we often think like staying in our comfort zone is, we think that that's the easy choice. So we're like, I'm just going to stay here for a little while longer. And like, I'll do the scary thing in a year or whatever, but we don't realize is, that staying in our comfort zone, it's actually completely exhausting because staying in your comfort zone, it's not stimulating you. It's not exciting you. It's not giving you, for most of us, it's not giving you, now don't get me wrong. Like if you are home with a new baby and you need to like be focusing on growing a human (laughs) and making sure they're alive, stay in your comfort zone. (laughs) But beyond that, if you're staying in your comfort zone in a job you don't like for 10 years, that's harming you. If you're staying in relationships and other, you know, situations where where you're just staying in your comfort zone, like over time, that's harming you. And it actually leads to a lot of loneliness and isolation and potentially depression and anxiety. And so getting out of your comfort zone is actually really important for your health and your mental health and for your long-term growth trajectory, whatever that looks like. That doesn't mean that you need to be like shooting for the biggest stars in the sky to like reach for huge goals. It just means like doing some things in a new direction um, here and there. The third piece of getting out of your own way, a third way that you might be getting in your own way um, is playing small. And so the examples I've given are examples of playing small where you're holding yourself back in different ways. But what we often know about or what we often see in someone who's playing small is that you're avoiding making decisions. So it's probably staying in that comfort zone, but you're avoiding making those decisions that might take you to the next level or bring you way more happiness. And you're feeling, you're very risk averse. And so you're thinking like, well, like I could do that or I should do that, but like maybe next month or next year, because it feels hard and scary and 
what if it doesn't work out? And so we just continue to play small. Um, and we talk about dreams, but we don't actually take action. In this oh my God. You've just described like the first, you know, the last decade of my life before I stopped <laughs> drinking. Like, well, that's I was just going to say, I was going to ask you like, if this resonates with stopping drinking, because it's talking about like the, when X happens, then I'll do Y or whatever. And so I'm thinking with drinking, like, well, when I stop drinking, then I'll do this. Or this happens with weight loss. When I lose 30 pounds, then I'll do this. Or when, well, it's not even that it's like, I will stop drinking when my Mm. life gets less stressful, when my job is not so hard, when my kids are older, like it's, it's change. It's scary. It's the unknown. It's feeling like you're going to lose all your friends. I mean, it's who am I? You know, sometimes we drink and we keep our life small and we, it's a really hard place to live, but it, it keeps your social circle small because you usually surround yourself with other drinkers and there is negative um, feedback when you try to stop, when you, when you depart from the social norms, because people think, well, if she stops drinking, what about me? And you'll take away my fun. And so but I was finding that because I was drinking, like I was tolerating a lot more and demanding a lot less and settling for what mm-hmm. was comfortable because I had so much negative self-talk that mm-hmm. I definitely stayed in situations that were both difficult and comfortable. And I'm thinking specifically about careers. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you, um, what you just said about thinking that things so are you familiar with um, fixed mindset versus growth mindset? Yes, I love it. So the work of Carol Dweck. So when we think about not being able to stop something or not being able to do something until a certain time or certain conditions, that's all fixed mindset and fixed mindset in like a nutshell is like thinking that is putting these limitations on yourself and thinking like, I'm not good at that thing, but other people are, but like, I just wasn't born into that or whatever. And growth mindset is like, there's always potential and there's always possibility. And so when we're in that situation, and I would imagine with alcohol, this happens very frequently where it's easy to get stuck in fixed mindset. And it's easy to think that you can't do certain things or that you can't do things the way other people can, or people just don't understand. And all these little like reels that happen in our head that happen in for all of us in different ways. But with addiction, I would imagine it's like a specific way that can probably get you in a cycle in a downward spiral that could last for a really long time. So when we, and this is actually number five is getting stuck in fixed mindset. And so when we look at being in our own ways, we're stuck in fixed mindset and we can't imagine what it would be like outside that. And I'm thinking specifically, specifically with alcohol is like, you can't imagine what your routines would look like without the alcohol. You also, if you come from a family of alcoholics, you also might be thinking like, well, this is just in my DNA. And so like, why bother trying to change my DNA or overcome my DNA or override my DNA? So I would imagine it would be not easy to get stuck, but common to get stuck. It would not be easy to be stuck there, but it would be really common to lean into fixed mindset in a way that could be really detrimental instead of leaning into growth mindset, which I know is everything that you do when you're coaching people, Casey, is like growth mindset. And I've heard you say this on your podcast before, like you can't even imagine how um, incredible your life could be on the other side of quitting drinking. And when you're in fixed mindset, you're right. You can't. (laughs) You have to have someone help you 
challenge those limiting beliefs, those assumptions, those inner critic voices that tell you who you are. And like exactly what you were saying about, you know, this identity that, you know, with fixed mindset about who I am, it's sort of the difference. I think when you were talking about anxiety from saying I'm an anxious person to like, I'm experiencing anxiety, Mm -hmm. which is very real, but not unchangeable. Yeah. I say, so my new way of framing this for myself, which has really helped. So I had someone kind of walk a professional walk me back through like when I started experiencing anxiety and I can clearly track it a whole entire thread of my life very consistently to a time when I was eight years old. And then when I was eight years old, I stopped sleeping through the night, literally like every single night I was up and had all sorts of issues with going back to sleep. And it was like a whole thing. And So I can trace it back. And when I look at the years now, that's 37 years ago that I was eight years old. And I can say, I get to choose, like, I can say I've been struggling with anxiety since I was eight, which is how I framed it for a long time. And then when I got this diagnosis, the therapist I'm working with, she said, which was so affirming. She's like, you must be so tired to be Uh, doing this since you were eight years old. And then the psychiatrist was like, it's extremely uncommon for someone to have started being, to have symptoms of anxiety at such a young age. And so both of them were like, how have you been like self-managing this for 37 years? You must be really, really exhausted. And I was like, thank you. Yes, I that validation right. is so important. Right, right. And so to have that validation meant so much. And what it helped me see is that I get to choose the wording. And what if I were to say I've been managing anxiety for 37 years? Yeah. And all of a oh sudden, if I've been managing anxiety instead of struggling with anxiety, I've basically just given myself a huge trophy because I have successfully managed yeah. anxiety for 37 years. Which you deserve, <laughs> right? 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 Absolutely. Right. So that's yeah. like the difference right there is between fixed mindset and growth mindset. It's that one word. Like I've been struggling with this my whole life versus I've been managing this my whole life. And all it takes is that one word. Sometimes we're like, I don't see how to get from point A to point B or make this mental shift. What if someone gave you one word that shifted it? Um, So yesterday in therapy, this isn't like a podcast all about my therapy. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about forgiveness and literally the, my therapist said something about forgiveness and it was a shift of like three words. And I was like, Oh, that makes so much more sense. Like I feel so much better about it. And I, I see it in this new way that actually gives me way more power. Um, and so it's just that little shift. I had another example that was, so it just popped into my mind. Like one of the things I hate is when women tell themselves if, you know, I used to drink a bottle bottle on half a wine a night and I would be like, what is wrong with me? I need to get my shit together. Like, what the fuck? You have no discipline. Right. You know, why can everybody else deal with this? And, you know, you can't. Why can everyone else cope with life? And now when I work with women, I was like, that is bullshit that you're not disciplined or a hard worker or whatever. Like, do you know how fucking hard it is to go to work and have kids and do, a, you know, be a gold star girl? Yeah. And drink a, it's like a bottle of wine a night. Like you're fucking, you've been a making it so much harder on yourself than you need to, but you basically have been running a marathon with a ball and chain tied to your ankle. So, you know, living and achieving and drinking is hard. Um, yeah, getting sober is hard, Mm -hmm. but like choose your heart because in one way it gets easier as time goes on, but it's just about that mindset as opposed to being like, get your shit together. What the fuck is wrong with you? Why do you have no discipline? It's like, 
dude, you have been climbing a mountain and Mm -hmm. rolling a boulder up a hill and holding on to that forever. Totally. Like, why don't you apply that discipline that you have to something that is not going to weigh you down? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love, I think that that makes so much sense. And yeah, it's, it's crazy how everything is just a reframe away. But when you're in a really hard spot, you're like, no, it's more than that. (laughs) You're like, no, that can't be right. Well, part of this is like our minds are our own worst enemy if you don't get an external perspective and do some work. Right, right, right. Yeah. So number six, which I love because we're our own worst enemy. So women in particular are very guilty of this one. Um, So number six, the sixth way that we get in our own way is being the gatekeeper of tasks and roles so that no one else can help you. And so, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Every woman I know. Right. Yes. And I am so guilty of this. Like, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. And this actually, when my husband and I were dating, I said something about, um, I was like, how come you never surprise me and make me dinner? And he's like, oh my God. He said, I would be happy to do that, but you would want to know how much butter I put in it. And like, did the chicken get cooked all the way through and like all these things. And I was like, actually, you're right. I was like, don't ever make me dinner. Don't ever surprise me with dinner. That would stress me out. (laughs) Well, because we, it's a control issue, right? Which is actually fear-based and you're worried that things are going to slip through the cracks or that no one will do it as well, or no one's as responsible because, you know, I'm so like overcompensating to like, I have to keep all the balls in the air. So if I'm not touching them all, who's to say that they won't fall. Exactly. And so what's happening when you're doing that, the way that you're standing in your own way is first of all, you're holding on to all this information so that you're responsible for managing and micromanaging it, which goes back to like just being exhausted. And so that there's that piece, but also you're disempowering other people in your lives. And so like when my son was really little, my husband at one point, after I was having one of my many breakdowns, (laughs) he was like, (laughs) he's like, I really want to help, but you have to tell me like, I would just bulldoze past him at every point to be like, no, I got it. It's fine. I got it. It's fine. But also like always really annoyed that I was the one like having to be, I got it. It's fine. He's like, you don't have to be that way. Like you are the one choosing to be that way. I'm right here. And I would actually like to participate in my kid's life. If you would like step away for a moment. Um, And that was really eye opening when he was like, I really want to help, but you have to tell me what you need because I was trying to be like three steps ahead of him. So I don't even know why, (laughs) but I know some women too, who are super annoyed that they have to tell someone like, why do I have to tell you? But it's like, you have to seed an entire category, Mm -hmm. like a project, you know, not like drip, 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 do this. Now he's got school. Can you do it? He's got a doctor's appointment. Like, and that's hard, but you're right. When you do it, it's free. And for me, actually, it's been amazing during COVID, which is hard to say, but my husband, um, amazingly, he's the head of a head of a, the middle school, a private middle school. And after 20 years there, pre COVID, this is the year he is going back to grad school to get a leadership degree. And so that was already arranged. So he had a year sabbatical and his classes are like nights and weekends. He was sort of picturing a year to enjoy life and have, you know, have some time to himself, but he ended up being like for 12 months, my six-year-old daughter's like basically first grade virtual teacher, which was amazing because the guy was a sixth grade teacher for 12 years. Like he's a, I'm an awful (laughs) teacher, but his relationship with her has completely and totally changed because mm-hmm. I was the mom and I did everything and she wanted me. And, you know, he has, I get her ready in the morning 
and basically drop her at the school door. And I come out for lunch and um, I'm, you know, do bedtime and like we all do dinner together, but he and her are like doing dance lessons and like, you know, all the things. And he had to figure out how to motivate her and relate to her because she's headstrong. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was good for me because it's hard to seed anything. And what a huge gift for them that you weren't trying to gatekeep all through that to be like, no, you just have your sabbatical and I'm going to manage all this. Like that would have been awful for your own mental health. And you would have denied them this like really precious time to take dance lessons together and like, just have like what memories they've created, even though I'm sure there's like, they're so much closer than they used to be. And he understands her because our life used to be, we had an hour in the morning. I dropped her at, you know, pre pre preschool, you know, daycare, pick her up at after school daycare, like the girl was gone for 10 hours a day, Mm -hmm. and come home for dinner in bed, like we had like three hours a night. And we, you know, weekend sports and activities, and you don't realize how little time you actually spend with your kids. But, um, and it's exhausting, don't get me wrong, this year has been incredibly hard. But like the idea of like trying to be the gatekeeper of everything, like, it's, it's hard. to Nobody wins. Like you think that you're winning because you're controlling it, but you're not actually winning. Like everybody's losing out because you are. Oh, my husband at one point said to me when I was still working, he was like, babe, nobody likes a martyr. So if you think you're doing it for us, stop. Right. And I'm like, so good at being the martyr. I'm so (laughs) good at being the martyr. Oh my goodness. I joke about like when I have to do more dishes than my husband and I like, I'm real good at doing the dishes really loud. So he's like, do what? Does he hear me clanking these super loud? Because I am a really good wife who cleans the kitchen right now, even though it's not my turn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, Okay. And then the seventh way that we get in our own way is that we get stuck in dreaming and planning and not actually doing. And this actually goes back a little bit to what you were saying around um, giving up drinking and we, oh, you know what? We skipped one. I'll go back to one we skipped in just a minute. It's one of my favorites, but anyway, so this is actually number six. Um, So we get stuck in dreaming and planning and not actually doing. And when we get stuck in dreaming and planning, we, everything is very ambiguous and very like long-term future oriented. So we're like, oh, well, like in the next five years, I'll go back to school, get the new job, write the book, quit drinking, like all of whatever the things are. And we are constantly like every year we just push it out. Like, well, you know, so we say in 2020, I'll do that by 2025. Well, then 2021 rolls around. We're like, "Eh, 2026 is good. And it's just too much ambiguity. And we don't ever come up with a really concrete plan. And so the other piece of this is like, we do a lot of research around it. So like, I'm going to spend like three years researching what master's degree program I want to do. Well, you could have just gotten the whole degree in the three years. (laughs) And so we do a lot of planning and researching and women especially are so great at this. Like, don't get me started on Amazon reviews. I could like any decision I have to make on Amazon takes 18 times longer than it should because those damn reviews, like they just should not have reviews on there because so many things sit in my cart and I never buy them because I can't decide between like the thing that has 4,700 reviews and 5,700 reviews. <laughs> yeah. Then the other one that I skipped over and which actually goes right back to what I'm just saying, analysis paralysis. We don't ever leave mm-hmm. the start line because we're stuck in analysis paralysis. So we waste a ton of precious time and energy consist- considering all the options and we never land on a decision. And so this goes, this 
back to what I was talking about before is like this dreaming is like, we're always putting things off to the future because we're putting off decision-making and thinking that we have to wait for finding the exact right solution or the exact right time or controlling all the variables. And we never get to it. We're in this constant analysis paralysis. When I had my gym, I had so many women who would come in and they'd say, I've been getting your emails for three years. One woman said seven years. I've been getting your emails for seven years waiting for the right time to start a program with you. And I'm so mad at myself because what if I had decided seven years ago to do a four week program at your gym? And then for seven years, I would have been taking better care of myself. And what would I, my life look like right now in comparison? Mm -hmm. Like, she's like, I am admittedly like overwhelmed and unhealthy and depressed and all of these things. And this is the mother I'm giving to my kids for the last seven years and it's because I was waiting for the right time. And so I always... Well, do you know that was actually the impetus for my business name and the podcast name, Hello Someday? Yes, yes. Because everybody is like, I will do this someday. Uh-huh. I will leave my my job that's sucking the life out of me someday. I will travel someday. I will do all these things. And it's like small steps inevitably lead to bigger ones, but you got to take the first step and you totally. don't have to wait. Totally. I'm dying because my first way to get out of your own way is to take small steps. So do you want me, mm-hmm. <laughs> so do you want me to dive yes, right do in? It, okay. do it. So, so now we know, like I've given you these seven ways that we get in our own way. And like I said, some people might relate to all of these and that's completely fine. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just, hopefully it's eye opening for you to see like, oh, I didn't realize this about myself. Now that I have more knowledge, I have more power moving forward. And I think that's always how this work should be done. Not like, oh, shoot, I'm bad because I failed on seven different levels. So no, it's not about failing on seven different levels. It's about seeing yourself in a new way and maybe finding relief. Like, oh, now that I know I have anxiety in my case, thank goodness. Now I can do something with that. So if you've been getting in your own way and now you can see that now you can do something about it. So the first way to get out of your own way is to take small steps. And so if you are a perfectionist and if you are a high achiever, we often think that we have to just go all in all the way in on the big thing. So like, I'm not going to do a 5k. I'm just going to go straight to a marathon. I'm not going to do, um, I'm not going to go for like a promotion. That's just like a little bit of a step. I'm going to go like all the way to the top. And so we think that we have to wait until, um, situations and circumstances are in a, in a place where we can take this big leap. And in the meantime, we miss out on all these opportunities to take small steps. Or like, I'm not going to do anything if I'm not guaranteed to get an A or no, like I was like, I can't leave my corporate job to do something else because there's no way I would make my corporate salary. And therefore like all these limiting beliefs that it is impossible. Yeah. So I hear you. You're like, but I know I don't like this, but I don't know what the solution is. And so I'm going to do nothing until I figure out the like gold star plan that is fail proof, right? So many of my business coaching clients have that is like their biggest holdup where they're like a lot of them still have a full-time or part-time, part-time kind of traditional or corporate job. And they're very much like, well, until I've replaced this entire income or until I've replaced, you know, figured out how to replace my healthcare costs, which don't get me wrong. Like, I think those are important. It's important to be able to cover your healthcare costs. But also when you're doing that, you get stuck in this place where you aren't making space for your future. And so you need to be making space for your future and taking small steps is exactly how you do that. And in taking small steps, a lot of things find their way off of your plate because you've taken that small step to create a new, bring something new onto the plate or create a new opportunity for yourself. So taking small steps is so underrated because high achievers don't think it's worth their time. They would rather go for something big and bypass the little stuff. 
And that's, that's how you just end up stuck for a real long time. Well, and I don't know if you're probably going to get to this, but like asking permission, because I remember when I, you know, wanted to leave corporate, one of my biggest issues, and I thought about going to coaching school, I was like, Oh, my God, is that even a thing? Like, life coaching is a joke, like it's not a real job. Um, I had this fear that was like my husband's best friend, God bless him. Like when my husband told him that I was going to coaching school, he was like, I thought life coaching was for people who couldn't make it in the corporate world. And it was like my worst fear of what people would think, Mm -hmm. like stabbing me through the heart. But what I had to do when you think about small steps and it was after I quit drinking. So I had so much more time and energy. Um, I said to my husband, I was like, I want to do this program. It costs decent amount of money, but I'm going to use my bonus, like just like permission, permission Mm -hmm. to like not spend the family money. Um, And I was like, I figured it out. It's three, three day weekends, nights and evening, you know, evenings and weekends. So, you know, if, you know, best case scenario, I will decide this is a career I love. Worst case scenario, we spend this money, you support my time with the kids and the family. And like, I get a year of personal development. And he said to me, he was like, babe, you're 42. Like, at what point do you get to do something just because you want to? Yes. Like, and I was just like, whoa. And the bad side is that I really did feel like I had to ask Mm -hmm. his permission, not just his acceptance and him to have my back. Like I needed him to tell me it was okay. Mm -hmm. Now, now I don't feel that way at all. I'm like, babe, I'm spending this money. I'm doing this thing. You know, can we, will you help me with this? Like, is that cool? But it's not like, will you tell me I'm allowed to, Right. you know? Right. Yeah. And that's a huge, oh my gosh, that's so common. And that resonates in so many ways because I see this happen all the time with people, with women, um, and especially after motherhood, because we are so conditioned to having to ignore our own needs after we have kids. Some of that is to keep a kid alive. Like you got to keep your babies alive yeah. and ignore, like you don't get to be hungry in that first year because, or sleep because some, you have to make sure that the baby is staying fed and sleeping. And so some of that is conditioned from just the, by virtue of being a mom. And then we also have cultural conditioning around that. So then by the time we have, you know, two kids in grade school, we think we have to ask for permission for everything. And if you're in a relationship where that's the status quo, then back to what we started said at the very beginning of this, like you need to know sooner than later that that's the baseline for your relationship. (laughs) And like, what are you going to do about that? Do you want to be in a relationship? You're allowed to change, right? You're allowed to change the status quo, even if you quote unquote agreed to it just by way you've been acting. Like you're allowed to change the rules. You are. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say, ask for support, not permission. And that, that is what I should have done. Yeah. And yeah, that's, there's a little gray area sometimes in there because if you are like a people pleaser to the nth degree, your way that you frame things around support and permission can sound very similar, but I, like I, the first time I signed up for business coaching, I didn't tell my husband, I just put it on a credit my, on my business credit card. And then I told them, I was like, I signed up for something that was really expensive. And it's interesting <laughs> to me. I have clients who like the way that they go about things that cost money for themselves. Um, if they yes. were one of my programs and the level of permission that they think that they need for something that's like $147, it blows my mind. And not in a way that for me to like be judging them, but from an objective standpoint that this is where we are as a culture, as moms and women, that 
we can't spend $147 on ourselves without feeling like our partner has to be, has to understand what it is we're going to spend it on and give us permission and also be invested. Because when people go to tell their partners that they're going to join my membership or do one of my events or whatever, the partners are always like, you're doing what? Like mindset work for moms. Husbands are like, I don't know what that means. So where you feel like you should be able to do it yourself, right? Like yeah. you should. Yeah. So there's all these layers around where things get, can get weird. And instead to just be like, so I'm doing this thing. It's going to be every Monday for yeah. the next four weeks. I'm going to, you know, so Mondays I'm going to be on a call for an hour. Um, and it's funny how many women come back to me and they say, like, I talked to my partner about it and they were like, so excited or they were like, yeah, of course you should do that. And the, 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 um, mom went into it thinking like, this might not go well. <laughs> mm-hmm. And sometimes it doesn't go well, but in so many cases, par- partners are like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Do the thing. <laughs> so. Well, and once you do one thing, it is so much easier oh, yeah. to do the next gotcha. thing. Like I know it sounds so stupid, but you mentioned therapy. And after I quit drinking, you know, four months mm-hmm. in, I had a pretty major anxiety panic episode. And I was like, fuck, I need a therapist ASAP. And so I I found a great one, but it was every like Thursday night at six to 7 PM, which meant that my husband needed to pick up the kids, get them home, give them dinner, you know, different schools, all the things. And I, I had to ask feels him like a big for that, right? You have little kids, even though he's a varsity baseball coach, like I cover the kids and that same thing for five months straight, every single fucking year, despite having a full-time job. (laughs) But like, I was super hesitant to ask him and he was a little bit like, oh, that's a lot, you know, which is great. You know, he's fabulous, but he's like not used to it. Right. And then he's like super tired when you get home. He's like, oh, this has been so hard. You're like, welcome to my life. Oh my God. Well, what's amazing is that, you know, midway through I came home and like, they were all sitting around the fire pit doing hot dogs for dinner and s'mores. thrilled having the best time, you know, in the similar way of like COVID him schooling my daughter. And I was like, oh my God, everyone is happier than me coming home, being stressed out, being kind of bitchy that I'm like doing the dishes and doing this and picked up both kids and like giving them grilled chicken. And they'll be like, fuck, I really want hot dogs. Can dad please pick us up tonight? (laughs) But then he got used to it, right? right? He got more used to like, oh, Casey has a thing which means I need to cover this, which before I was like taking the scraps, right? Right. He had baseball, he had basketball, he had work. Um, I basically had my job and the kids and no other commitments. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, but what's great is like one step in that direction creates the opportunity for a lot more steps in that direction. And so like, once you do it once, it opens the door to a whole new level of uh, seeking support versus permission and like having yeah. more independence and autonomy around decision-making, which can be really great. So the second way to get out of your own way, you actually mentioned this already, and I don't remember what it kind of exactly how you framed it or in what it was in reference to, but um, so taking imperfect action or and planning mm. imperfect action. So it's not just taking imperfect action. Like as you stumble through things, it's planning to be imperfect. Um, Brooke Castillo, she has a podcast called the life coach school. And she talks about doing B minus work. So planning to do B minus work. So if you're a high achiever or perfectionist, we only plan to do a plus work. Like we are only going to do the thing that we can get an a plus on. And we would also like to do extra credit. So to plan for doing B minus work, like if you're listening and you are an a plus person, you're already having a panic attack about doing B minus work. But 
what happens is when we are always working to do a plus work, we do a fraction of the things we would otherwise do. And are, if you look at like, you know, a growth uh, chart, we would have this like very slow growth and also a very like low level of growth. And if you are doing B minus work, you have this trajectory that's an upward trend and a forward trend at the same time. That's not to say there's not going to be some bumps along the way and you might dip down into a little valley at times, but overall there will be this forward momentum and an upward trend in your growth and in whatever direction you're going, what whatever growth, um, you know, whatever area you're looking for growth in. And so what if you could plan for imperfect action instead of just accepting imperfect action when you have, like you can't circumstances get out of your control and that's just the best you can do in that moment. So if you're planning for imperfect action, I'll give the example of when I started my podcast before I had my son, I had been doing, um, I had a blog and I loved blogging. It was like, great. I like, I actually like writing when I have time for it. But after my son was born, I was running my gym full time. I wanted to start this podcast for moms. And I was when I, or I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to start something for moms, but I didn't know if I should do a blog or a podcast. And so when I started thinking about, should I do the blog or the podcast? I thought, I know my tendency in a, in blogging, I'm going to get real perfectionistic again. So I'm going to write a blog post and then I'm going to send three days editing it. And then three days later, I'm going to like send it to my mom and I'm going to ask her to edit it. And then it's going to be like three weeks have passed and I still haven't put up the blog post with an, a podcast. I know that I can pick a topic. I can pick three things to talk about as like kind of sub like bullet points under that topic and I can push record and I can be done in 30 minutes and I can send it to someone to edit it and do production for me. And that's 30 minutes of my time, maybe an extra 10 minutes, 20 minutes of planning, like around the topic, unless I need to do some extensive research. So maybe an hour of my time versus hours and hours and weeks for one blog post. So it became clear to me, okay, I'm going to do B minus work. Like this is not me saying I can do a perfect podcast episode in 30 to 60 minutes. This is me saying, I know that I can get this done and get it submitted and just have it off my plate in a fraction of the time. It will not be perfect. And therefore this is the right thing for me to do because now as we are approaching our fifth year anniversary and I'm at 527 episodes of the podcast, thank God for B minus work because I could also, that's amazing. thank you. And I could also have a, a blog that's five years old with like 37 blog posts. <laughs> and so, you yeah. know, like it would have been a, been a fraction of the amount in the same amount of time. So where can you plan for imperfect action so that you are planning to not get in your own way? You are planning to do something not to the A plus degree and not to get extra credit on it, but to keep moving and keep growing and keep getting better and not getting better for the sake of making things perfect, but getting better to serve people better or to enjoy your life more or to just grow in different ways and try new things and all of whatever getting better quote unquote means to you. The third way to get out of your own way is to get curious. And so when you find yourself stuck asking yourself, why do I think I can't do that? Or why do I think someone else is more worthy? Or what's the worst that could happen if I did this? And so I'll use the example of myself in skiing. You've probably seen some of my posts. <laughs> so I've learned to ski <laughs> as an adult and I'm very scared of heights. I'm very scared of momentum. I'm very scared of mountains in general, like there is nothing about me that is cut out for mountain sports. And my husband, this is my third season skiing. And my husband recently has been like, I just want you to know that I just think it's really great that you have decided to stick with this because 
it's really not, and he worded it really kindly, but he's like, this is like not what you were made for. And you making yourself do it. <laughs> not very good. Is that what well, he's trying to not say? That I'm not very good. It's that I'm just so scared of it that I, yeah. it's like not always enjoyable. I only enjoy it when it's done. So like every Saturday morning, instead of being like, oh, it's ski day. I'm like, I cannot wait to be home and safe and alive. <laughs> like it's, I'm just, yeah. my only goal is to live through it. And so he's like, it's really impressive that you get up week after week after week for the third year in a row now doing this when your like main goal is just to live, <laughs> like not to enjoy it, not even to care really if you get better, but like you just want to live. And so luckily as I'm working through my anxiety, it's getting a little bit better. And I've gotten a lot more confidence as I've gotten a little bit better with my skills, but I've had to get really curious. Like, why is this important to me? And why does this matter? Yeah. Why do I think that I shouldn't be doing this? Or why does it like, does it matter that my son is like, I can't wait for you to do black diamond runs. And I'm like, I'm never doing black diamond runs. Why do I think I could never do black diamond runs? Like there's just so much curiosity around it for me. And so, and the more I do it, the more curious I get, because it's like unpeeling all of these layers in me around all of these things I've kind of never addressed or seen from this perspective before. And it's been really, really valuable. So looking at when you're going to try something new, or you're going to push yourself to do something uncomfortable, give up drinking or take a break from drinking or wherever, whatever it might be to get really curious around, like, why do I think I can't do that? Or why do I think that other people would be better. Other people are more qualified. And what's the worst thing that could happen if I did X, Y, Z. Um, and to then take a chance on yourself based on where, you know, what you, what comes out of that curiosity. The fourth way to get out of your own way is to, and I'm going to take this from two different books, drop the ball and, or choose what to bomb. So I use the book, um, finished by John Acuff earlier, and he talks about choose what to bomb. And so when he talks about taking imperfect action, he's like, if you're going to decide to go, so he uses the example of when he's going to write a book, he's like, when I'm writing a book, there's this three month window where like, all I do is write book is work on the book. I don't reply to texts. I'm not on social media. I don't answer emails. Like he's like, I bomb everything else in my life. I don't see my friends. He's like, I bomb friendships. My friends know, like, I'm not going to be your friend for three months. Like I'll see you a quarter from now, you know? And so he talks about it from that context being really aware of what are you going to bomb right now so that you can do something else well, or so that you can do something else that brings you joy. And so um, another way to look at this, um, Tiffany Dufu has a book called drop the ball, which is specific to motherhood. How can you choose what balls you're going to drop so that you can focus on whatever goal is most meaningful right now? So you might decide that you're the goal that make that's most meaningful to you is to spend quality time with your baby. And so you're going to buy all of your baby food. I went through a very neurotic phase with my child where I made all of his food. And that was like the highest priority for me. So I bombed. Oh dear God. I didn't vacuum my house because I was making baby food all the time. So I dropped yeah. the bomb or I dropped the ball around like cleaning my house. And my husband and I had arguments about like my paper piles and messes I left everywhere. But I was like, but he's having all organic baby food. <laughs> yeah. Homemade, right? Hey, you could buy organic baby food. Homemade all organic baby food. I love that example because it's something that I always talk to women about in early sobriety, where you really like your top priority for the first hundred days needs to be only not to drink. Cause a lot yeah. of women have thought about or wanted to stop drinking for years and struggled mm -hmm. with it. So it's like no new projects, no new responsibilities. If you want to do, you know, for your first hundred days, if all you do is not drink, you get a gold star. Right. And in the first two weeks, like 
Kids can eat cereal. Kids can watch the TV every single night, like lower the bar on everything so that you can get to the point where you're stronger. You have more energy. You're more capable, but like this shit is hard. And if you're actually going to do it, other stuff has to go by the wayside and by the way, it's going to be okay. Yes. So, and I, that, that's such a, uh, that's such a relevant example and such an important example. And I'm thinking of like, from a high achiever perspective, I'm thinking the opposite of that would be, which is something I would totally do by the way, like, well, I'm going to quit drinking for a hundred days, but like, I'm going to start a blog about it and like blog about it every single day so that other people can track it. And then I could like make it into an ebook <laughs> instead oh my God. to your point to be like, no, like you're just going to not drink. You're not going to make it also into a business. <laughs> and then you're going to like eat all the peanut M&Ms and you're going to go to bed at 7 p.m. And no, my clients, like women, this is like a huge mistake women make in the beginning is they're like, okay, I'm going to not drink, but I'm also going to do whole 30 and yes, I'm going to go yes. running every day. And I'm going to, or like some of my clients, you know, day one, day three, day five are like, okay, I'm going to not, I'm going to not drink. And I'm like, great, take naps, slow walks, eat the M&Ms. And they're like, well, I really need to clean out my attic and my office. Like, (laughs) this is what I need to do. And I'm like, okay, how long has your attic been an issue? And they're like five fucking years. And I'm like, okay, if it's been an issue for five years, why are you trying to tackle it on day seven of not drinking? Like, yes, don't do it. And that goes back to social conditioning and that like we women feel like we have to be productive and be like contributing and like we can't just take a nap. We can't just sit and watch. In order to take up space, we get in order. We are allowed to take up space by the number of things we cross off the list. Totally. Totally. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's and we saw that at the beginning of quarantine. Like, oh, it's quarantine. I'm going to rearrange my whole house and make sourdough bread and do my Marie Kondo everything. And it's like or you could just like survive a global pandemic and eat peanut butter, the dark chocolate peanut butter cups from Trader Joe's and do puzzles, which is what I've been doing any frequently I have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then number five, the fifth way to get out of your own way is to dream in strategy, not just theory. So I talked earlier about dreaming and I don't want to, I don't want people to feel like they can't dream. I think dreaming is really important. And especially for people like you and me who are entrepreneurial, but dreaming in strategy, not just in this like uh, ambiguous, like way off in the future in five to 10 years, I'm going to do a few of these things and instead dreaming in strategy so that you're thinking like, huh, I would love it. And I think these are like the ways I dream. I dream about having a lake house. And in my dream of having a lake house, I think about like, oh, like if it was big enough, I could have retreats there. Or if I, the way we like, we could have the lake house and I could work there during the summer while my son could come out there. So I'm strategizing around like, what my life would look like at this lake house. My husband would get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. I could get up and get a few hours of work done. My son could play on the dock and go fishing. And I'm dreaming in like these really concrete ways. So I'm not thinking like in 10 to 15 years, I want to get a lake house. I'm thinking, what does my life look like with that lake house? And what are some things I can be doing now? So if I want that lake house in the next couple of years, I probably should look at like, what are we doing with asset management now? Or what does this mean for my business right now in terms of like revenue goals? Or so like thinking now about what needs to be happening and what the dream looks like in reality versus having this really kind of more far-fetched like vision board. I don't want to poop poop vision boards. I'm totally a fan of vision boards as well. Yeah, I'm the biggest fan. Like rather than just having the vision board, like what are some of the other pieces of that dream? So for me, like time freedom is my biggest um, value as an entrepreneur. So for me, the dream is like 
sitting at my house by myself doing my work. It's not just the dream of having a podcast or the dream of having a seven figure, seven figure business. It's like sitting at home by myself in my office, which hasn't happened in a very long time right now. But that's the dream is like being able to, in the middle of the day, if I want to go to Trader Joe's, I can, or if I want to do my podcast, I can. And like, that's what the dream looks like. So it's not, um, so there's a lot of clarity around the dream. And then that creates the opportunity to be strategic around the dream. Yeah. I love that. And I'm dying to know, do you have a specific lake in mind? Oh my gosh. This is like, let me know if you have advice because there's like no lake houses available in anywhere in Washington right now. Um, I would (laughs) say, so we recently discovered Lake Samish, not Samish, Mm -hmm. but Samish, which is near Bellingham. And that's kind of my new obsession because we could be on the lake and be like an hour to the mountains to ski. Nice. Well, I have to say that like Mike and I have a dream and I think it is so wonderful to have something that you're excited about kind of as a couple in the future, like once the kids are grown. And so our dream is to um, travel for like four or five months a year, like four months in the, in the winter from Seattle Mm, when it's so dark and like Airbnb it or get a house in like different places that we might love. So, you know, like South Carolina one year, Hawaii one year, Alkmaar it outside the, um, the Netherlands, like, or in the Netherlands is my favorite or Santa Fe. And so we have a full plan of like, once the kids are grown, we have a basement apartment. That's, that's pretty nice that we rent out. So like, we're going to rent the big house. We're going to move into the basement. We're going to go from like November or October to like March or April. And my husband's a baseball coach. So I'm like, I will stay there for wherever we are for the month of April and you will come back and start coaching and my girlfriends will come and like, then we'll be home for the garden for the summer. Like it is fully fleshed out. You mean in strategy? Yeah. To flush out the idea. And now like your motivation to make it happen because you're like, Oh, like I know where I'm going to be in like April of 2032, (laughs) you know? Yeah. When Lila is in college. So I've got many moons, right? Like it's, this is exactly. And now you can look at like, okay, so if we're going to do that, like, what does that mean for our house? Or what does that mean for our money or asset allocation or savings or retirement? Or is like one of the reasons I left corporate. I was like, I want to be able to do this. And if I'm a coach, podcaster, I can work from anywhere. And that's exciting to me. So when I sometimes get down, you know, which as an entrepreneur, especially in your first year full time, you do and you're like, Regularly. damn, I could make a lot more money going back to corporate. I'm like, yeah, but remember the dream, totally. like you are building totally. something you love to do. That's meaningful. That will also enable you right. to have this amazing life right. and not be stuck traveling for business with, you know, three weeks of vacation a year. Yeah. And when you talk to friend, girlfriends about dreams, they probably there a lot of, it's just a very like high level fleeting stuff. Or I don't know, maybe it's Lola, but it's like, there's no specifics around it. It's just like in 30 years, we're going to do something like this. Like, it's not, like there's nothing super laid out or they don't know. Yeah. Right. A lot of women I work with, like in life coaching, they just don't know. Right. Right. They know they want something more, but they're like, I've never taken the time to tap into what that might be. And you can dream and plan and change it. Like you're not locked in. Totally. And you can also look at when you have those dreams and they are really specific and you can see yourself sitting in them then all of a sudden your motivation to make change and show up for your life in a powerful way today shifts dramatically. So when we look at this, you know, in relationship to drinking, then you're like, oh, like if that's what I want to have happen in 10 years or five years or 20 years or whatever, then 
how do I want to consider taking a break from alcohol right now or sobriety right now, or what that might look like? Like is alcohol consumption at the level I'm currently doing it? Is that part of the dream in X amount of years? Or is that actually totally at odds with the dream? Yeah, absolutely. So many good things. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This has been amazing. Did we go through all five? We got through all five. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I could talk to you all day. I know. I'm sure your listeners are like, when are we wrapping this up? (laughs) And we're talking really, really fast. But this has been amazing. I've learned so much. So I want to say anyone listening to this, you have to check out Sarah's podcast. It's the Shameless Mom Academy podcast. It is a top rated podcast in parenting, right? You're like in the top 3 million downloads. It's amazing. I love it. And how else can people get in touch with you? What work do you do that you want to share? So people can reach out to me on social. Um, I'm, we actually have a Facebook group for moms. So um, uh, for my shameless mom. So if you go to shamelessmom.com slash Facebook, you can join our Facebook group. You can find me at shamelessmom.com is the website and you can reach out to me and connect with me through the website there. Um, and then if you, you probably have a lot of tools. I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. I have a little morning routine thing, but I'm feeling like you probably give your people a lots of different tools. So yeah, I've got a, I've got a bunch of different suggestions. Come to the Facebook group. If you want to be in my shameless mom, there's like 3000 shameless moms in there. It's a really great place. I'm in there. I love it. in there. So yeah, join the group and then listen to the show. And as you know, you're listening to the show, there'll be other opportunities to connect. Yeah. And I will um, add all your links, of course, to the show notes. Perfect. And thank you. Thank I know you. This was you're so very fun. busy and this has been amazing. This has been super fun. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit Hello Someday Coaching.com. And I would be so great if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.